the emphasis on this song is wind, so that's a, that's what you're listening for. Go ahead. Genesis continues by emphasizing the material world. The earth was a formless void and dark uh, darkness covered the face of the deep, while the wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Genesis 1-2. Isaiah 41-16. You will winnow them, and the wind will carry them away. A gale will scatter them, but you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. You will winnow them. The wind will pick them up, and a gale will blow them away. Isaiah 59-19. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has at once accepted, in spite of your changing ways. Dear God, let, let us all come together tonight so that we can talk about the Word and how we can, and how we can penetrate the Word out to the world. Let us all have some silence right now to understand that we don't have the power to fix everything, that we really need you, God. We need, we need your help, and we need your win. And the reason I wrote The Mighty Wind was for that reason alone, because I wanted to take some of the pressure off the stress I'm having in my life. So when you have this little bit of silence, think about some of the stress you have in your daily life and ask God to come into your heart and help you with it. Who holds the crystal ball? 
share that new song with you, and I wanted to do Lily at Valley. And this is my friend Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Uh, he plays in my band, and uh, I wanted to introduce him to the group. Uh, he does have to leave early, but okay. hopefully he'll make it back another time. No problem. Yeah. Um, well, for Nathan, so let's, why don't we just go around and give our names so everybody... There's no test here, so... So we have to remember. <laughs> no, you don't have to remember your name, just everybody else. <laughs> You're the only one I can't remember. Right? No, you don't want me to sit. Just call me Nicky Demas. Ooh, that was me. Wow, he got me bad there. Salt and Sea. Alright, here we go. Okay, go. Brett. Chase. Eric. Mike. Peter. Ken. Nathan. Chad. Gil. David. Bill. Oh, God, Steve, and Greg. All right, awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, too. Glad you're here. Um, Do you want to give you one of these? No, we can just set them around. Maybe he can put them away for everybody. Okay. Everybody who comes and come again, you get one of those. It's up John. Did you come? Um, like so, what you right. use as we go along? Look at him. Thanks for Tom. That <sighs> you uh, told us about that hand. All right. So, in fact, I was just looking that up. That's sort of interesting. Anybody know about when that Lily of the Valley was written? Well, it sounds like a, like a mid-18th uh, century. Uh, 18th century. 18th, 19th, 19th century. Yeah, somewhere in the 1800s. Yeah. Um, the guy who wrote it was William Fry, who lived between 1837 and 1882. Yeah. Um, so. it's, a, it's a very moving, touching song. Yeah, yeah that's uh, good. Um, all right. So, speaking of... A while back, how many of you remember WWJD? I do. You remember it? You remember it? Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? WWJD. Oh, you guys remember that whole movement? Yeah, yeah. WWJD. What would Jesus do? You know what it stands for? Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a whole movement. I don't even know back when, but back, you know. Quite a long time ago, WWJD was the stand for probably. What would Jesus? Jesus yeah, what do? would Jesus do? And people would wear little necklaces and stuff to say WWJD, and bracelets and everything. Sort of had a good. I mean, in a sense, you know, the whole idea of how do we live? Well, we look to what Jesus would do. All right. So what we're doing tonight in the passage we're looking at is looking at the question. Not what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus say that Jesus should do? <laughs> okay? Um, so that's part of what we're going to be looking at tonight, is that when you went up to Jesus and you said, what would Jesus do? He really answers that question for us in the passages that we're looking at tonight. But one of the things I've been having us do, and we haven't done this for a, a little while, is to, we talked about when we opened up John, and for those of you who aren't here at the very opening, there's a prologue of John, John 1, 1 through 18. Mm-hmm. And when we looked at that, we were looking and talking about then that really in that prologue, it's sort of like the introduction to a book or something. In the introduction, it lays out you know, pretty much everything that's going to happen in the book. And so John 1, 1 through 18 really does that for John. And that's what's per- one of the purposes it serves is to say, is for John and authoring, saying, I want to give you an idea of all the things I'm going to be talking about with Jesus as we go through the John. And so as we look at these different sections we've been reading through, at different times we've gone through and said, oh yeah, here now, this part of the prologue, he's now talking about that in here. 
Um, so I like to just repeat that prologue every once in a while. So why don't we turn to John 1, very beginning. And who wants to volunteer reading 1 through 18? I will, if you want to hear it in King James. Sure. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, let's do that. It's always good to hear a sort of a different voice. So just maybe just listen to this. Instead of trying to read along as he yeah. does in King James, go ahead and listen to um, it as Tom goes along. It has a subject that says, The Divinity and Incarnation of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. I always like that, King James. Uh, me too. That, I'm so glad you volunteered to read out of that. It's that just so beautiful. It was different? Nope, that's good. No, yeah. I mean, was it different than was your... It? So the other thing that, for those of you who've been part of what we've been doing for a long time, um, I've tried to keep it down for years to say I'm not going to teach I'm not going to teach you a lot of theology <laughs> and a bunch of big words, but really only two main words. Um, to help us read and hear God's word better. Um, all right. Anybody remember what those two words are? Inclusio. Inclusio and pistis. pistis. Well, pistis. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's an easy one. Pistis is a Greek word, so we're, we will learn some Greek yeah. words. But this is more just how Hebrew and Greek, how the how what we read tabernacle. Very good. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> What'd you say? No, you said chiasm. Chiasm. Right. Chiasm and chiasm. All right, so if you, anybody want to take a, a cut at 
explaining what those are, those two, by just using these colors. So if I have these colors and I just gave you a bunch of colors like this, why don't you put that in the structure that could show someone what a chiasm is and inclusio. Anybody want to do that? Anybody want to go for that? Uh, you can do it together. Doesn't really... You're too smart, Peter. This is... Well, let's see how he does. Yeah, I see it. Greg, you're not going to start throwing them, are you? All right, very good. Okay, so why this is important is because if you look at um, if you look at how we normally do stuff in English, and we write something, we will write something with an introduction, then we'll have a body, and then we'll have a conclusion. But in Hebrew and Greek, one of the main ways they try to get people to both memorize, but also to really get down the point of what they're talking about. So you see this in the Old Testament in Hebrew. You see this in the New Testament in, in um, Greek. This is used a lot, all right? And so basically what happens is, is the author will purposefully start out with saying something. And so if you look at the whole body of what he just said, when there's a structure like this, he'll start out by saying something, and he'll end by sort of saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. All right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Sometimes he'll do an opposite. Sometimes this would be the opposite of this, but these two are related. Then he'll write it so these two are related, and then he'll write it to these two are related. Okay, so the the inclusio part is like um, bookmark, book um, ends. Okay, this encapsulates all of it. So when you see something like this, generally you can look and say if you have something like this, it also means that everything in between these two is somehow related to the statements that are made here. All right. When you have a chiastic structure within this, and basically, usually, I'm being a little simplistic here, when you have a chiastic structure where the very middle line here sets itself apart, so you see one, two, one, two, one, two, but there's this one in the very middle, the author is doing that purposefully in Greek and Hebrew in our uh, Bibles to make a point to say, this is the main thing I want you to get mm -hmm. across. Mm -hmm. This is the key thing. Like in English, we would never do that. In fact, we will read our English versions of the Bible, and we'll never see this unless someone helps us to see it because we don't structure English that way. All right? So, for those of you for review, in John, in the prologue, it is a chiastic structure. All right? Which means there is one main thing, main, main, main thing, that John is trying to get across in the prologue. Anybody remember what that is? And where is that? Verse 12. Oh. Verse 12. Very good, Steve. So, do you remember what it says on verse 12? That to all who did receive him. Oh. Who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. <laughs> awesome. Who are you? Good. <laughs> all right. So, if you guys look at that in 1. Very good, Steve. In, in 112. 112 is. This part. So really, ultimately, what John wants, yeah, what John wants us to all know, as we through. All right, Jay. Thanks a lot. Take care. Hope you can come again. Thank you. Thanks for doing worship. So the main thing John wants all of us to know, as we read through the Gospel of John, is that when we believe in His name, we are children of God. 
period. There's nothing else. There's no black, white, this race, that, what, political, this, I mean, it's all, we're one thing. We're all children of God when we believe in Christ. Okay? That is the thing that that we all are together. So really when John's writing, he's really trying to tell us over and over again, this is who you are, and you're children of God, which means you're children of his son, which is Jesus Christ, all who believe in his name. Okay? So, I want you to just keep that in mind, as, as we're always reading through John, that that's the central message, is that in Christ, when we put our faith in him, and what we're learning in John is who he is, <laughs> that when we do that, we are all children of God. Okay. So, what I want us to do now is, I want us to look at our passage today. So, if you want to turn to page... So page thirty. Can I read a verse that relates to what you're uh-huh, talking sure. about? You want, um, my concordance goes from that verse twelve. Oh yeah. To point out one um, passage from Isaiah. Oh okay. Always love to go back to Isaiah. <laughs> Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Hmm. Which chapter are you there from? Isaiah 56, 5. Okay, so turn to third on um, page 30. And I want someone, if now someone else read, and let's read in the, this version. I want you to read verses 19 through 32. Which chapter? So basically the whole chapter 5. So I want you to read 19... Uh, John five nineteen through thirty two. All right, you want to do that, Gil? Yes, I do. All right, and so as he does that, I want you to try to hear any echoes of what you heard in the prologue. Okay, so we just heard the prologue read. What echoes do you hear, sort of, of the prologue in this passage here? All right, the name word to sort of stand out to you, for example. All right, go ahead, Gil. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Let me read that again. But has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whosoever hears my word and believes him 
who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. And the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself. So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Keep going? Yep, all the way to 37. Okay. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Okay. So, do you see any words in there that remind you of the prologue? Of the what? Of the prologue. Oh, so when we read 1, 1 through 18. Yeah, verse 24. Four. Relates to twelve. Oh, and good. Okay. Very good. Yeah. And you're saying that twelve is the center pillar of of the prologue, right? Okay. All right. Good. So about who truly whoever believes, right? What else do we see? Anybody else? Other words um, that you see sort of ring that you heard in the prologue? Well, it phrase death to life. Because in the prologue, he, he, sees, he, says, he, he shows the importance of believing in order to live. Okay. Bear witness. Bear witness, good. Yeah, we just heard the bear witness. Yeah. Anything else that sort of words that you sort of like went bing, bing. <laughs> Almost like a tuning fork, you know, you hear the same tune. Life. Life. And where do you see life in John 1? Um, I was just looking at it. Verse 21. Verse 4. Life. Verse the four. Father raises the dead and gives them life. And also the Son gives life to whom he will. Mm-hmm. So look at verse 4 of John 1, 1. Notice how it says, In him was life, life, and the life was the light of men. Do you guys see how many times life appears in the passage we're looking at right now? In 19 through 32? Does, does that mean to him was life, the life was the light of men? Mm-hmm. Why does it not, not say the light to men? Because God wrote and you didn't. Pardon? Because God wrote this and you didn't. Oh. 
<laughs> I, I always appreciate you. Oh, you know, this is perfect. <laughs> That's Sometimes I like to say that on, on other occasions. In here. In other words, blame it on God. Yeah. Thank goodness. But notice, as life as an example that Chad just brought out, notice that he talks about that in him was life, in Christ, and Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And then if you take a look at the passage we're talking about, Verse 21, it raises the dead and gives them life. So also the Son gives life. In verse 24, eternal life. And again in verse 24, from death to life. Um, in verse 25, those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted Son to also have life in himself. 29, resurrection of life. So you just see in here this sort of this ringing again of, in the prologue, talks about how this Jesus is going to be the one who gives life. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that with the Samaritan woman. We see as we go along, he's there to give life. Um, and in this passage, you hear that just sort of ringing over and over again. So when we look at other religions, I don't want to get off track here. I mean, if my go ahead. Okay. Yeah. When fact, we look at other, well, actually, other religions, a good, um, uh, and we be, we're criticized for saying Christ is the way, mm-hmm. but there's no equivalent in, in any other religion, is there? There's nothing. No. We have an impersonal God in the Tao, or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. We have... And how can... I don't understand how... People can relate to an impossible, to an, you know, a non-personal God. That's what He's given us. This great gift. Yeah, I think you just made the point. That is what is unique about the Christian faith: is it offers a personal God. Like if you look at the Muslim faith, God is not personal. God is not, um, you know, God is the um, Allah. Is that yeah, Allah? God is not this God you can have a personal relationship with. In Buddhism and Taoism, there really is no God. Everything's God. So you have no relationship. There's no, again, personal relationship. There's no person to have a relationship with. If anything, the only thing you can have a relationship with is yourself, because ultimately you are part of everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that's what, I mean, in fact, the passage we're going to look at today, it's a good question, because the passage you're going to be looking at today tells us a lot about what makes Christianity unique. Um, no other religion offers that personal relationship. Um, so then are, are all the rest just BS? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, we're told to be tolerant, and why would... I probably mean taking this off course. Yeah. Well, but again, that's as opposed to being using the word tolerant or the point is... We have a message about a God who created us, who wants to have a personal relationship with us. I would just say, from what I've studied and of all different religions and stuff, no other religion offers that. No other religion offers this personal relationship. The answer is yes, they're all BS. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because because logically speaking, um, you know, anything that it, all truth claims are exclusive, right? So if we say we have the truth, Mm-hmm. Anything that contradicts what we believe is not going or uh, 
couldn't be true, or they both couldn't be true Correct. at the same time, right? Just, just, yeah. just from, uh, just from. Logic You're saying the only way you can't say someone else is yeah. the only way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, they can say that, but yeah, right. But also, C.S. Lewis has has an idea called the Tao, and he, I think, the way he defines the Tao is like there is some good in other religion, right? There is some truth in other religion where it where it matches up with. Christianity, but only Christianity is complete truth. Um, but if, like, for example, if you had a, a math equation, a complex math equation, and you missed, and you missed one part of it, your answer is going to ultimately be wrong. So you have to have a complete truth in order to arrive at truth. So even if some of these other religions have some things that are true, like, for example, maybe the idea. It's not exactly the same, but the idea of karma and the idea of sowing and reaping, which is, you know, Christian, Jewish idea, the law of sowing and reaping, you reap what you sow. Kind of similar concept to karma. So in in that case, that, in, in the way that it relates, would, would be true. But, but, it, but, but the, the wheel of reincarnation, the wheel of karma, is so imprisoning. Why would yeah. anybody ever... Want to? I, I'm getting on. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, 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 for, as far as reincarnation goes, the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. So, what is it? Do you die once, or are you reincarnate? They both can't be true. Right. And yeah. our our claim is Christianity is true, and then there is no reincarnation. Thank goodness. I don't ever want to be a teenager. Like how he says. Uh, the Church of England can be different than the Church in New York, but the concept of Christianity is still there. Yeah, the faith is still the, faith the is same still Christ. There. Right. And I, I, I think what I think what the whole concept here is, from what I understand, especially reading in 19, is that there's this misconception about being saved at death, and it's really not. It's not that at all. 19 is really talking about being saved once you once you accept Jesus. Mm -hmm. Correct? Right. And, well, well, I don't want to get ahead of our reading, but that's really what this passage is a, a lot about. It's exactly, there is no reincarnation. You're appointed once to die, but the beauty of what Jesus offers us is life before we die. Mm -hmm. Real life. So the eternal life he gives us, which means everlasting life, is something we have now when we become children of God and believe in his name. We are given a life that is a life that's everlasting that we start enjoying now, and that is fellowship with him. Um, through ab abiding. Yeah, through abiding, exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, so, anybody else? Anybody else see anything in here that just as far as with the prologue? The Father and the Son. Okay. All right. So you see the Father and the Son. All right. Good. <clears throat> I see loves. I mean, we have the word love there, <laughs> too. So. All right. So here's a question that we were talking about the structure. All right. So I had you read verses 19 through 32, all right? 19 could be looked at as the beginning and inclusio. 
And if I was to say that, that would mean that I would see what it says in 19 somewhere else. That it would end somewhere else. Does that make sense? Everyone following me? Mm-hmm. Okay. So where should we stop our reading on that page based on that? So if I see what I see in 19, where would I end my thought pattern here? It's on the same page, so what, we're not going to go past. What, I'm sorry. So we read from 19 to 32. Okay. And I'm saying if 19 is the beginning of a thought, where does that thought end? And Tom just said. Okay. A what? 30. 30. And why do you say 30? Because it's almost verbatim. <laughs> exactly. Because I got my own. <laughs> exactly. All right, do you guys see that? And you notice that, remember again, too, like these headings, like the ESV puts in here, these headings are not part of the Bible. And if you went and looked at the original Bible, you don't see a heading that says the authority of the Son, and then witness to Jesus, all right? Um, But you see the thought pattern here? You see how Tom just brought out? So in verse 19, truly, truly, I say the Son can do nothing on his own accord. And then in verse 30... He repeats, I can do nothing on my own. <laughs> so really, what he, what's happening is he's saying everything in between here <laughs> is really in some form telling us, Jesus is telling us, what does that mean? That he can do nothing on his own. Well, All right. And what does that mean for us? Well, we must really be unable <laughs> to do yeah, nothing on our own. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't be able to find it's the like, bathroom. It's like the parable of the vine and the branches. Mm-hmm. Without him, we can do nothing. Very good. Excellent. So in John, John 15, we hear that we can do nothing. In fact, if you turn there, John 15, 5. Um, I think it's 15, 5. Let me see real quick. John 15, well, I guess we have it in here, don't we? Sure. <laughs> Keep saying that. John am the branches. Yep. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. Yeah, there it is, right. Yep. So go ahead, read that all, Phil. Um, see, see, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. yeah. I will say, I never thought about this until actually studying this this week, that... That's always something I've always heard that we can do nothing outside of Jesus. But I never knew Jesus said that he can do nothing. I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't ever hear that. Yeah. So, although, well, yeah. spiritually he tells us he, he does everything. So he must be talking about himself on this earth. No, he's talking about himself. Well, okay. But so what is it? So Jesus says, I can do nothing of my own. What does Jesus mean when he says that? Makes me think of Trinity theology. Yeah. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working in harmony with perfect alignment of will. You know, their wills are aligned. So one wouldn't do something contradictory to the will of another person in the Trinity. Right. And so 
he would he wouldn't act on his own. Mm-hmm. He would only act in concert with the Father and the Spirit. And you know, so just like he just wouldn't. They're on the same act. page. Yeah, right. yeah, on the yeah. same page. That's that's a pretty blunt way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're they are. On I the think same it's instantaneous page. too. I yeah. you know I almost think theatrics mm-hmm. of Jesus in prayer, not theatrics, but. It's already a foregone conclusion. I mean, he's in communication with the Father all the time. Yeah. He knows exactly what he wants. Yeah. But he has choice. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Jesus has choice. I mean, it says yeah. in verse 30, mm-hmm. I seek not my own will. Yeah. Meaning, I could I, seek my own will if I wanted to. Right. And that's what Satan did. And yeah. why he fell. Yeah. Which is, I think, the power... Of him, of relating to him, or how he can, why he can relate to us, is he still has the choice. Yeah, he has the same temptation, same choice to fall or not as we do. Mm-hmm. So it's like this perfect relationship, you know, where one wants to please the other, and they're right. subservient to each other all the time. And as we were talking about they're last on the same page. week, verse twenty, mm-hmm. um, well, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that He Himself doeth. So God is actually doing things. And uh-huh. Jesus sees him doing things. He goes, oh, okay, now I do that. Mm-hmm. Which we were talking about last because, week. you know, until we were talking about that last week. Yeah. Before that, I thought, no, they're just all together up there. They're just, the Trinity is so united and they're just in total sync. But they're not. Yeah. Jesus has, well, I don't know about the Holy Spirit, but this is saying Jesus has agency. And we're going to see later on in John, the Holy Spirit will come in. Yep. And and yeah, what will we find out that the Holy Spirit... So we're hearing that Jesus does only what his father, father is doing. Really is. What, do we, what are we going to hear about what the Holy Spirit does? Well, Jesus, well, does. He comes to, Jesus can only be in one place at one time. He's a man. He's God, but he's man, you know, and so when he leaves, the Holy Spirit fills all who believe in him. Yeah. His spirit, the spirit of God. Yeah. In 16, it says, when the spirit comes, he yeah. will guide you in hey, the Read 13. What's that? 16, 13? Yeah. Yeah, good. Read that. When the spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So you see that? Just like with the, you see there's a pattern. There's Here's this pattern, right? Jesus is saying, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And then when he's going to leave earth, he's going to bring the Spirit, mm-hmm. who is going to do only what... He's going to speak what he hears. Yeah, That's exactly. He exactly. It's a perfect relationship. Yeah. So they're all taking orders. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. They have to. Yeah. They're obeying. They're yep. obeying. Yeah. There is no choice. Can I do a yeah. little uh, uh, uh-huh. kind of a re- Just think about something here. Um, I'm going to reverse reverse the order of 19 and 20. Hmm. Of 19 and... Oh, okay. Because verse 20 says, starts off with the word for. So that means what happened in the verse ahead of this is dependent on what I'm going to say in 20. So let's reverse them. Huh. So start off, and it, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he do, does, and he will show him greater works. 
that you may marvel. Then, read, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. What, so, I'm just inferring, why does the Son only do what his fa- sees his Father do? Because the Father loves him. That's what it's saying. I love that. Yeah. And, and yeah. That's the thought. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think about that before. That's great. So, so if that's the case, that's another model for us, too. Yeah. Why do Excellent. we do what the Lord asks us to do? Because we love it. Because it's like it. Jesus loves the Father. Good to mm. Very good. Mm. You've seen that? There's this, like, waterfall. There's this pattern. Yeah. It just keeps Wonderful. coming up. So we, going back to that WWJD, we both say, what would Jesus do? Well. What the Father does. Okay. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we say we, and in, in, in what Chad just read, how are we able to do that now? How, how are we able to be part of this whole chain? How does this Through thing the Holy happen? Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is where? In us. In us. In us. In dwells in us, letting us abide in Christ, so we can, through the Spirit, do what Jesus did. Who does what the Father does. That's right. Because, as Chad read, because the Spirit speaks to us. Yeah. And how does the Spirit speak to us? Well, I don't know. (laughs) But, I mean, just that alone is like, if you take this chain, Mm -hmm. what do we do? Listen. Yeah. If this chain comes down to us, finally through the Holy Spirit, who speaks to us what he's heard Mm -hmm. from the Father, Mm -hmm. that means... Listen. Listen. <laughs> and if we don't, we, we... It's like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gives us the first perfect model uh-huh. of what we should ourselves or potentially have. Eventually in heaven we will, but down here I think we at least get a taste of it. Right. Right. To share it with others. Yeah. yeah. So I want you to notice in verse 19 what we didn't read first. Just go back one page at the very bottom. Because Jesus is responding here, in essence, to the Jewish leaders. He's responding to what the Pharisees were saying. In fact, this passage we're starting to look at right now is the longest single discourse that Jesus gives us in the Gospel of John addressing the Pharisees. He's going to give us a longer discourse talking to the to the disciples in chapter 16. But here's the longest discourse we're going to read where he's talking to and answering the questions of the Pharisees. And if you look in here, what's... And by the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. Look, look at verse 18. What is the question that Jesus is addressing? So it says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, Jesus, but he was even calling God his own Father. Alright? And then I want you to notice what it says. Making himself equal with God. Their accusation was that he, that Jesus, was making himself equal with God. But Jesus says in verse 19, I'm not making myself equal to God. <laughs> okay. What is he what he's saying in verse 19 it says, Truly, truly I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. 
So Jesus is not saying, I'm going to make myself God. He's saying, no, I'm in this perfect relationship with the Father, and everything you see me do is because the Father is telling me to do it. So it's not that I'm arrogant and I'm making myself into something. Um, in fact, in 7, I think, let's see, 718, let me see if I got that right. In, verse, uh, in chapter 718, Jesus actually says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. When someone tries to speak on their own authority, <laughs> which is what they were accusing him of, that he was speaking on his own authority and making himself God, he says, no, my authority is against this chain. It comes from the Father. I do everything the Father does. I never really yes. thought about this, but this is just another example of the way he came, you know, he, he came in a manger, he came in a, in a, in a bar, he didn't, mm -hmm. he didn't come with, you know, purple linens on him, he came very humble. Right. And this is almost a, a, just another example of him saying, you know, I'm not David Koresh or Jim Jones, it's, that's not, that's not <laughs> yeah. who I am. Yeah. It's because of this, which just legitimizes him even more. So. Mm -hmm. that, that's excellent, because what, what makes a cult? Makes I'm God. Right. <laughs> they make themselves Correct. God. <laughs> Jim Jones makes himself God, you know, etc., etc. You know, whenever you have a cult leader, they're always saying, I'm the only one, and they never have someone else who is in authority. Usually when you see, even within the Christian church, when someone raises himself up too high, and they make themselves the only authority. Big mistake. <laughs> we know Jesus came to serve. Yeah. And to humbly serve, I mean, washing the disciples' feet, just all through the Bible. Yeah. It shows him serving. Yeah. Not my will, but the Father's will. Yeah. Right to the bitter end. Right. So let's walk, keep, let's keep walking through. So, so verse 19, see if whatever you guys see in here, we'll walk through. So verse 19, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So it's not that Jesus is making himself something. He is doing something. Again, it's serving. He is, yes, yeah, right. He's he is doing whatever the Father does. The will of the Father. Yeah. So you just hear that sort of ring. What am I doing? Am I doing what the Father's doing? Anybody see anything else in there? Um, well, I was just thinking about the fact that um, a person might say to you, I'm sending you love, or I'm sending you peace. It's not. They can't do it of their own. Mm -hmm. So they are um, usurping God's power. And it's, it, it's like an empty book. There's I mean, one of the language I hear these days is manifest. What a manifest. Oh, yeah. I, happen. You know, yeah. the whole book called The Secret, which is just a bunch of regurgitated Eastern stuff made Americanized, but it's very much that whole, mm -hmm. I think, and I'm not just I think and therefore I am, but I think and I can think and I can change the world around me by how I think. 
I mean, I fell into that deception. That's why I became a Buddhist. I thought maybe if I could just, yeah. that was my obsession in my 20s, was I want to control my world. And so yeah. I was so interested in Eastern religion because I thought this was a religion that gives me the ability to have the power to control others. <laughs> and I tried to do that. <laughs> The whole thing about manifesting is such a joke. Yeah. You can't you can't create a parking space, for example, by just imagining it. Especially now the right now. On a Sunday. All right. Um, but I, I have yeah. prayed for a number of parking spaces. And got it. <laughs> yes. Well, we all have. I'm, I'm going to admit oh, that I'm right with you. I'm so bad. i got to say this right now. <laughs> I feel so bad. But I did good. You're going to love this about me, Greg. Friday night, my daughter wants to go to the high school game. I haven't been one. I used, I used to know John real well, the coach of the team. This was a big game for them. I didn't go early enough. No parking. So I went everywhere. I drove by the little church by the city, and there was plenty of parking. Yeah. I'm thinking... Wow, I wonder if I just parked there for like 20 minutes, went and checked, looked, went and said hi, and went back and left. I didn't do it, though. <laughs> I found a little secret street up there called Griffin something, and I, I had to hike about a mile away, but I was staring at the parking lot last Friday night. <laughs> wow. And, and, and I had to share that. Day. There was a lot of parking, too. A lot of parking. I parked here, and I wrote a note. Oh, you did? I was, I was like, thinking about that. Peter, I go to the church. <laughs> I was thinking about writing a note. That was so funny. Well, bring that up. Would, I think I want to park here. I don't think anybody would. Me, too. I just wanted to do the right thing. It's like, oh, Garcia's here. When do I see here? He's at the football game. We need us a little church by the sea. Yeah, a little church yeah, and I was getting like anxiety <laughs> driving around, like I was ready to go home and walk back. Oh I was so gosh, nervous. <laughs> Welcome to Laguna Beach. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, well, by the authority invested in me, <laughs> I have none. <laughs> if you ever do want to park here, you can. And if you're afraid that someone, yeah, just so you guys know, you can't, you can't. Um, if you're concerned, particularly during the daytime, it's a good idea if you say, like, put a little thing on your windshield. Um, like the neighbors, they have a little thing they put on the windshield because they're actually allowed to park here if they live across the street. And so they have, like, little stickers. So, um, thank what? you. Thank you. <laughs> I did right. good on that one. <laughs> yeah. What would Ken do? WWKD. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we know what Kim would do, whatever Nick, Nick does. Yeah, whatever, oh, Nicholas, yeah, whatever Nicholas does. We're, gonna, we're, gonna get you, uh, we're, we're definitely going to get you something at some point. Hey, we, we love you, man. You're going to give me a name tag. Yeah, we ever do like a play or something when we need Nick, we'll, we'll call on you for that. All right, um, continuing. <laughs> Anything else? Because in verse 20, I love what Tom was saying. I think Tom, you was about the loves, the Sunday. I love how you did that. I love how you tried to switch the two. I never thought about that before. So the father loves the son. So notice in verse 19 again how many times it says do. So he's responding to the make in the verse before. No, I not make myself this way. I'm doing, 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 doing what the father was telling me to do. 
And then it says in verse 20, the father loves the son. Now, what word do you guys think is used for love there? For those of you who know, remember any of the Greek words you said. What is the word that, what's what's the Greek word for agape? love? What is it? Agape. Agape. Amor. <laughs> Amor. Yeah. You guys heard that before? Agape, as far yeah, as, like, yeah. that's the yeah. Is it agape? It's not. No, it's, it's not. Sorge. Keep going. It's phileo. There's another one. Phileo. 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 Yeah. But so, I thought sorge was, like, family love. And yeah, but this is, is actually for other No, phileo, I think, is too. I think it is. I it's it's brotherly love. love is phileo. Yeah. Like friendship. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah that's what phileo, that is usually. But it's yeah. interesting here that John uses the word for that, the friend thing, instead for that here. Huh. Um, because a lot of times people think, oh, agape, agape, agape. Just so you know, it doesn't, it's not a word that, that's the only time it's ever used. It's like logos, you know, for the word. Sometimes another word is used instead mm-hmm. of logos. So it's not, there's not always there. So the father loves the son. And shows him all he is doing, and greater works than those will he show him, so that you may marvel. So what's sort of the key word of this one? In that sentence. What's he doing? He's not doing, he's showing. Showing. He's showing yeah. himself what he's doing. Does that make sense as far as like how, again, we were talking last week about apprenticeship. This is using sort of the metaphor of words that are used of apprentice. Someone who fathers training his son on um, Chase Hammer's time beforehand about they're building a shed, and I, my dad was he loved woodworking and he would cut trees. He we owned 160 acres up in Mendocino, mm. and he built in the middle of nowhere. He built his cabin at the end of retiring with my mom, and bigger than the cabin was his shed that he had that he took and would cut down firs and oaks. And out of nothing, a tree like that, he would turn it into beautiful stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, he tried to teach me that. <laughs> right. It didn't work. Yeah. Um, you were in Buddha camp? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's that apprentice type thing where you know the father is teaching his son. And in that, what's the son doing? He's doing everything the father is showing him. Mm-hmm. So you get not just the idea of doing, but you get the idea of showing well, that's really what a disciple of Jesus is, someone who's being like that, yeah. What a what a joy it might be to sneak in and watch Joseph teaching Jesus to yeah. to build things. Uh-huh. I mean that's that's where you would get some of this, possibly some of the wording. Um, anybody else there? Anything anything else? Yeah, Eric. I, I see this as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is essentially subservient to the Father. Mm-hmm. And it's only through that subservience that the love happens between the two. Mm-hmm. And so it takes him and his the pecking order being acknowledged to enter into a relationship where he can receive the love from the Father and enter into relationship. And so the metaphor is... It's the same for us. It's not until we take ourselves off our own personal throne and we become subservient and willing to follow Christ Jesus that we can receive the love from the Father and be guided by Him. 
So it's a, it's kind of a metaphor of our own walk. Absolutely. And I think that's part of what we learn from this is exactly that, is how can we do this in our relationship with Jesus? Um, because actually what's interesting here too is the verbs that are used is this constant present relationship. He's always doing this and everything. This is the abiding. I'm const- he's constantly looking to the Father to say, what should I do? How do I do? What do I say? You know, you just see this like inseparable relationship between the Father and the Son. But with our yeah. sin nature, it's it's a con- constant choice that has to be made over and over and over again yeah. as we're tempted with sin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a question because I went here last week. Um, and so I'm still wondering how you guys left off when Jesus was questioned about healing um, the man at the pool. Um, oh yeah, you asked me. Is that the yeah, question you asked me? Yeah, the never yeah so yeah, if yeah. he's doing what his father's doing, and he's <coughs> he's out here um, healing, but he's not. Um, this this man may have you know he, he doesn't cleanse his heart. He just says, "Don't sin no more." Mm-hmm. Um, how is he working with his father? Is he just going around doing miracles? I mean, I guess that was the question that when we walked out of here last two weeks ago, right. I never really could figure that part out. Does anybody have anything for me on that? Like, I feel like it says at the end there when he talks that he's he says I'm do, you know I'm doing my father's work. Mm-hmm. We're like working together, mm-hmm. but is was Jesus supposed to be spreading the word and cleansing people's hearts, or was he just supposed to be performing miracles so he could t- show everybody that you know, he is the Son of God? I, if he, isn't that what his father wants him to do? Doesn't his father want him to cleanse, cleanse the, the Absolutely. If he says right. he couldn't do anything without what the father showed him, that's obviously what, what God's showing him. Yeah. That's what I would think, but he doesn't do that. We left. We right. left that day. When I left that day, I thinking see. that um, I can't think of his name, but the person that he healed, right, walked away, saying, "Yeah, it was Jesus who did it. I can walk now." And he just told me not to sin no more. Right. So what we were talking about last week is this is an example. Most of the examples, many of the examples <clears throat> of Jesus' healing, he is healing because of their faith. Right, or their faith is associated with that healing somehow. In this case, it that doesn't happen. It, I mean, why? I don't think we're not told exactly why that is, but what it does do is it shows that Jesus is Jesus has the power to heal even if someone doesn't have faith. All right. So I mean that's part of the part of the lot I mean, two of the things I get out of this, mm-hmm. and again we're not told a lot, is that first of all Here's an example. Jesus can do what Jesus wants to do, which is what the Father's telling him to do. So we can't, we don't have the prerogative to say, oh, well, you know, he only is healing people who have faith. No. Here's an example clearly where this person does not have faith, doesn't say anything about faith. All the other places it does talk about, so it's pretty explicit, you're finding out that it's not talking about faith here. So he's still choosing to heal this man. And we find out that this, he goes and tells the man, stop sinning, 
because he knows that that is in that man's heart, and he's told to do that. We don't know whatever happened with that. Because if he did, he'd be right back in the same pickle. Very possible. Yeah, very possible. So in this case, we don't. We're not told always the details. You know, what's the rest of the story? We don't know. <laughs> that happened yeah. around. But it shows that Jesus has our prerogative. And I guess another thing I would just point out is what we're seeing in Jesus' ministry on earth is we're seeing him many times doing things that are a fulfillment of the prophecy to show that he is the Messiah who has come. Yeah. So sometimes Jesus is just doing something out of his own, the own demonstration to show, I am the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament, that I am your Messiah, because these are the things that Messiah would do, which is just to heal. So, yeah, Eric. Uh, I see it a little bit different than me help you understand it. The way I see it is is that this pool is a place where people go full of hope. And everybody knows that, that that's where you go for hope. And so when Jesus heals that one man, the power and authority of what he did in that place was a public testimony that, that went beyond the pool because his power and authority then was shown, and it was more of a, if you want to look at it as a PR thing, to <laughs> kind of to, to get the word out there that, you know, I know what I'm doing, and, and here's the proof of it right here. And especially he picks the guy who's always slow and never gets into the pool yeah, behind true. everybody yeah, else, who had absolutely no hope, but he's uh, the one that he chose to heal. And so... Because it's a healing place, and the least possibility to be healed is the one that's healed. The power of that going out is phenomenal. The only thing it could, I could think, though, that could backfire on that is if he now he has his legs, and now he winds up in a brothel where he's, you know, he now he's just doesn't matter. And he might, but he doesn't matter he's then, he's because still the, been the PR work is not good. <laughs> you know? Well, we don't know that... that Jesus gave a command, and when he gives a command, he also gives the ability to to comply with the command, right? He wouldn't give the command that, that he Get wouldn't give the guy the ability to comply with, and outside of Jesus, he couldn't comply with that, outside of the Spirit, right? And Jesus, so I think he may have actually, you know, the guy was changed, not not just physically. But oh, then but he gives him the will. He gives him yeah. the will to change. In other words, he, yeah. he, the man is not like a robot. He's given. Yeah, yeah. He's like like he's, he's no longer dead in sin. He's yeah, like a slave to yeah. sin, right? He has the ability to now, just like we're not. He's no longer slave to sin because otherwise he couldn't. He couldn't possibly have complied with what Jesus said. Yeah. But he always Without gives that. Jesus the credit. And then to, to your to your question on. Sometimes, like the purpose, or what, what's the Father doing, or what's Jesus doing? The Father says, "There's a healing of a man who was born blind, right?" And I think, I think that was the one where they said, "Who sinned? Was it the man, or was it his parents?" Right? Because they always associated like um, generational illness, sin. yeah, to that. And, and Jesus said, "Neither," but you know. This was to display God's glory, 
right? Yes. Yeah. It was to dis- this is meant to display God's glory. So why did this happen? Why was this guy born blind? Well, it was to display God's glory because he he was healed and he opened a man. He opened the eyes of a man who was born blind, which hadn't been done. Yeah. And, and the whole purpose was Jesus says to display God's glory. Yeah. In that particular situation. Good. You know, Greg, verse uh-huh. 30 strikes me as the key verse. I can do nothing on my own. <laughs> mm-hmm. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him yeah. who sent me. Yeah. Bottom line, everything is orchestrated by the Father. Mm-hmm. And it, there's this perfect relationship going on where that healing of the person there, you know, whether he became a believer after that or not, it doesn't matter. It was it was meant to be. You know, there's a sovereign plan. You know, and it's all part of it. But Jesus is doing the will of the Father. Right. He's here to serve. Right. The ultimate servant. Yeah. Go back to Isaiah. That's so we're right. talking about uh-huh. in this passage about another word that's coming up to me is sent. Sent. Uh huh. And so verse 24 and 6. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that heareth my word number one, and believeth on him that sent me, number two, hath everlasting life. So this is, it's different. Um, he's saying those that hear, so it's like listening, hear his word, and we've talked about that. But it's interesting to me, it says, believes on him that sent me. Yeah. It's like, really? What? He's not, right, right there he's not even asking for the credit. He's saying, oh, don't believe me, believe on the God who sent me. Uh-huh. Yeah, is that it's, kind of, it's kind of obscure and complicated. It, I think it's the only place really where you see this, is where you see it, him referring to my word. He sort of switches here because this is the first time he ever used the word, here's my word. He mostly is saying like the Father's word or something like that. But here he's saying, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So again, you see sort of like this, connect this, oneness between the Father and the Son. Yeah. You believe in the Son, Son means you're believing in the Father. But what's that saying to the Jews? The Jews were saying, oh yeah, we have a Father. Alright, so they believe, they would use the word Father. They have a Father, but they never, <laughs> they can't get their grasp around the Father has a Son. Yeah, they can't wrap their head around that Jesus is, is part of the God. Yeah, exactly. At all. Right. How about the Holy Spirit? I don't think in the way that ultimately it's revealed. I mean, they do, the Holy Spirit's back, all the way back in Genesis 1 1. The very opening verses of Scripture has a spirit, but not in the same way it gets revealed. So, opening opening that Uh conundrum or that puzzle up a little bit, um, I looked at the word sent and elsewhere, and 1 John, which was written by the same John. Uh Mm -hmm. So, 1 John 4. Eight. It goes back to what we we're just talking about: love. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Whoa! For God is love. And then this is so. Read that again. Can you read it again? Well, I, w- I will. But let me go to this next one because it deals with scent. Because scent relates to love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. So, in verse 9 it says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us, 
jumping over. I mean, we we talked about, yeah. you know, in twenty nine, I guess it was God loving Jesus, uh-huh. God loving the Lord. Now He's loving us. Right, right. He's jumping, God. So the the scent has to do with love. And the other one where you want to talk about is verse eight: He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's yeah. like the Pharisees and all these people who are troubling him. They don't have any love. If they had love, then they would know God. Yeah. yeah. Because God is love. And how does God show that love? By sending His only begotten Son into the world. That right. we, why? That we might live through Him. There's a life again. Exactly. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> but he's the one who's opening the door for us. Yep, yep, yep. So we think, I mean, this phrase here is pretty neat. We think, well, God, uh, tell me what to do. You know, pray, pray, pray. We're praying for God's will. And what's the whole deal from his perspective? That we might live through him. Yeah. So the, so the, prayer, the prayer would be, how do, how do I live through you? What do you want? You're not even here. How do I look through you? You know? Which I think is why we're given the Spirit and His words so we can do that. So we can live through Him. Or in Him, as some scriptures say. That's why what's Paul's favorite language about our relationship with Christ? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Everything is about being in Christ. That's that abiding. You know, that everything Francis, we do is in Christ. Francis Schaeffer, who uh-huh. we talked about, um, he closed all of his letters with that those two words, in him, mm-hmm. friend. In him, friend. Yeah. Jesus models so much for us. I mean, the whole time he was on earth, it was like he was in the Father. He was in God. He was here to serve. Mm-hmm. And he pretty much models what we are to try exactly. to do ourselves. That's what I think I love about this passage, as you guys are seeing. A big point that out is this passage is revealing something about Jesus and his relationship with the Father, but it's revealing about how we also should have our relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. In everything are we saying, what does Jesus want us to do? What does Jesus want us to do? Yeah. How do we know what Jesus wants us to do? That's why we're in here. Yeah. <laughs> WWJD. Yeah, exactly. What WWJD if you do WWFD? What the Father does. Yeah, like what the Father does. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I, FCA I guess, also. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I didn't know that uh, right in the beginning that John was actually sent by God to be witness, bear witness. Yes. I guess I, I never really appreciated that. Well, I don't think it means this John. It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Yeah. So it's not this John, 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 John the Baptist. It's John yeah. the Baptist. And we're yeah. going to see There's that. There's reading up in front. Right. Yeah. And we're going to see that in our next, yeah. path, next part of this passage where he talks yeah, about that witness. Front. So John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness yeah. about. Yeah. 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 Um, Is there anybody else that yeah. were sent by God? Sent? Yeah, Other than him? 
Well, I mean, in the past, in the Old Testament, you got prophets are sent. By God, yeah, Moses. Isaiah, yeah. Yeah. all the prophets are sent yeah. by God to so, so busy go tell the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so we'll, we'll sort of wrap it up here. Anybody else on, um, like, 24? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes what we just went through that has eternal life. And here, and this, in fact, this is sort of where we started out. Where notice how it says, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So this goes back, this is a part when it goes back to um, John 3, where we read that, I think the thing that's fascinating is, you begin to see by Jesus being the one to be given judgment, but in John 3, we find out that Jesus said, I didn't come to judge, okay, so he's ultimately going to have that. But in remember in John 3, it says that I've come so you may have life and that you're not condemned. Uh, what was that? Three, let me just read it again. Um, yeah. So whoever believes in him is not condemned, for whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has believed in the name of the Son. So think of condemned as judgment. Notice what it says here. It says he does not come in 24, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. When we put our faith in Christ, <laughs> judgment psh, gone for us. There is no judgment for us. Now, we were talking last week in <laughs> our discussion about something about works, but I'm talking about judgment as far as being ju- to judgment in the sense of condemnation or anything. So it's what's interesting, when, when you accept Jesus as your Lord, you have now moved to a point of not only do you now have life, but what you no longer have is you're no longer condemned. You're no longer under judgment. So it's not to me again that God says, I'm judging you. It's that you are already there. <laughs> Without Christ, we're already going to be judged and we're already condemned. So it's not like God sent us there. We are there. <laughs> we're born that way. Mm-hmm. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we get that life. But what we also get is something erased. All condemnation, all judgment, we are no longer under that word anymore. Gone. I mean, if, <laughs> that is freedom. Oh, yeah. That That's is great. joy. That is life that we never have to worry about being judged again. Yeah. When you use the word abide. Yeah. Is that the life you live then is one of obedience. So can you substitute obedience with abide? The word I like is remain. Because Jesus is obedient to the Father. Right. And Jesus abides in the Father. And and he abides in the Father. So obedience is part and parcel of of abiding. I think the way I would put it is that Obedience is is the is is the outflow of abiding. Okay. <laughs> so abiding, remaining in is the relationship part. Right. Okay. So it's like you have a relationship with Joe. You're in this relationship. As part of that relationship, you do what she says to do. <laughs> okay. Because you love her. Yeah. Right. So it's the same type of thing, is that the abiding is the actual relational part, but 
and but Jesus says in John 15, abide, abide in me, I in you. And then he says, how do you abide in me? By following my commandments, or not by, but you, how do you show you're abiding in me? By following my commandments. What is a commandment? One commandment, love others. Love, I love others. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because if you're a Christian that goes, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and then you just go out and do whatever you want to do, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Without, you know, Can I read in a sinful way. You know, yeah. Like, Why don't you go and read, and then I'll close us. Yeah, because close I want to, um, but, and, and after he reads that, can I make a prayer before we go? Yeah, then I have a prayer to close this with. Okay. Okay, so here's... Yes, go ahead. Ten verses? Yeah, go. Um, and this relates to what we are talking about a moment ago, uh, that we might live through him. Mm-hmm. And we're wondering, how do we do that? So this is around that verse. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves us is born of God. And knoweth God. And what are we reading? What are you, what are you reading? What passage? First John, First John four nine. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, mm-hmm. and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he has given us the Spirit, which <laughs> you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. This is a lot. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. Isn't that amazing? We have known and believed the love that God has to us. In other words, accept it. Believe it. He loves you. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So if you want to read that some more, chapter yeah. 4, 1 John. That's, that's almost like the application of what we just read. Mm-hmm. Just like, how do we do this? There it is. First yeah. <laughs> John answer. I've that. always had trouble with sermons and doctrine about love, love. It just seems so effeminate and so gushy and hard to grasp. And This is like, you know, if you yes. get the dynamic of what's going on of your salvation and how God loved Jesus and how God loves you. It all makes sense. What he's talking, love is is it's, uh, is uh, it's powerful. It's miraculous. Yeah. It's, it's a power of the dunamis, you know. It's not the world love that we all see. Yeah, that's good. And so you're going to say that, that? Well, that ties in with the prayer I want to make. Mm-hmm. So, Father, we we have heard about you today and how you operate. And that we need to accept you. And yet, in my own life, I have met people who think of you so differently and have no idea what you really are, who resist the softness and gentleness of you for their own manifestations, their own imaginings 
about you. And you're not there. Yes, for others who are suffering in this way, even though they don't know they're suffering, who are making it up as they go along, would be transformed by you at this moment in time to understand you, to look to you, and to become real in you. Real. No imaginary gods, but real. In Jesus' name.